Testing one, two, three, one, two, three, testing. I'm Ben McAdams, and I represent Utah's 4th Congressional District. Before I was elected last November, I was the mayor of Salt Lake County. It's my belief that Washington might work better if we thought about governing the country the way mayors approach leading their communities. In this podcast, I'm hoping to show you what being a member of Congress is really like, and whether it's possible to run this country the way we run our local governments. In this episode, I talk with another newly elected representative, Veronica Escobar, about her challenges representing a district that includes our southern border. Welcome to Washington. We were in Selma for the commemoration of the March on Selma and, and Bloody Sunday with Congressman John Lewis. And I was with Veronica Escobar, who's a, a new incoming member of Congress with me. So we had some time to go around and we were hearing from civil rights luminaries and learning about the history of the civil rights movement, talking about some of the challenges today. And I thought it would be a good time to sit down and talk with her because she's been an advocate for a perspective as it relates to the border and border security. Okay, so talking with Veronica Escobar, you're uh, representing El Paso, Texas. Tell me first a little bit about your district. My district is right on the U.S.-Mexico border. We, there's, we're, we're not a few miles from it, we're not a few yards from it. We literally, the uh, skinny little river separates El Paso, Texas from Ciudad Juarez, Chihuahua. Very much one region. I grew up, as, as did many El Pasoans, going back and forth across our ports of entry to shop, to um, spend time with family, to uh, get haircuts, to um, just have fun, to entertain, to celebrate. And Juarenses, vice versa. They grew up coming over to El Paso. We have long enjoyed their spending on the American side. We've depended on it. Uh, and it, it has been and always will be a very safe community for a number of reasons. Number one, we have a large federal law enforcement presence. That's, that's part of why we are a safe and secure community. Number two, our local law enforcement has always engaged in a policy called community policing, where they don't ask people for their papers. They don't want to know anyone's citizenship status. If a crime's been committed, the police and the sheriff's department have worked hard to build trust in neighborhoods and communities, and families, regardless of immigration status, know they can trust local police. And as a result, they will testify in criminal trials, they will be witnesses, and and they engage in a um, very helpful way with local law enforcement. So community policing, in my view, has a lot to do with it. And third, Immigrant communities have been proven to be safe communities. And El Paso's unique uh, from the rest of the country, but not unique among cities on the border, in that a lot of our families have long-time regional ties. So they're multi-generational families like mine. My family's been there for over 100 years. So we are super invested in the safety, security, prosperity of our community. We're not transient populations. We're, we've been there for a long time. We're there to stay. We sort of defend our own homeland in some respects. So, But on top of that, and I, of course, always have to mention the safety component because there's so much mythology around the border. The president's furthered some of that mythology, especially exactly. with Exactly. Exactly. And so I feel like every time I talk about El Paso, I've got to mention that we're safe, secure. We have a wall, but we were safe long before a wall. 
but we're so much more than that. We're a major logistical uh, uh, hub for trade. $90 billion of trade comes across our ports of entry every year. Trade that helps the U.S. economy. We uh, are going both ways, right? Going both yeah. ways, yeah. yeah. Uh, we have one of the most important national defense uh, assets in Fort Bliss, which is the second largest military installation in the country. Oh, okay. So you and we are just warm, generous, kind people. We are exactly okay. what makes America great. So when we were, you know, going back and forth in the middle of the government shutdown, and try, everybody was trying to find the solution. You spoke. We well. You spoke to me, a group of a group of members of Congress, and just weighed in with your concerns on how divisive the rhetoric was around the wall and divisive in, the community, in, in their communities. And that was something that um, you know really made me pause and think about you know the path forward and what that looked like. And so, tell me, when the president talked about the wall, what what did that did that hit you and your community, the people you represent? It's kind of a punch in the gut every time that that happens because it's such a misunderstanding of what keeps our country secure. El Paso and border communities like mine have been so highly militarized. The U.S. government has spent hundreds of millions of dollars militarizing our communities and we're not even at war with our neighbors. And so it's, it's hard for us on the border to wrap our heads around why the rest of the country would be okay with this. I've spent, in, in my first month and a half in Congress, time inviting members to come to El Paso. We've had five CODELs, congressional delegation visits, in six weeks. And I'm really working hard. We've just invited the freshman class. Well, yeah, so you'll, you'll have, when you get back, you'll have an invitation. I want people to see the complete border, and I want them to hear from federal law enforcement, because even federal law enforcement agents will tell you it's a combination of things that that create security. There are areas where personnel alone are is, is what helps. There are rural areas where Normandy barriers, they're like these big X's that keep out um, vehicles, uh, where those are the most useful. There's other parts of the rural border where posts and fencing, which allows life, uh, um, wildlife to keep going back and forth where that's appropriate. Right now what's happening is we have the president saying there's a singular solution to a challenge of drugs and Central American asylum seekers. We know the vast majority of drugs, 90% come through the ports, and our ports are outdated. I show members of Congress that as well. Like, you guys, these ports need investment. We need to modernize them. This should be the hub for innovation and technology on making sure that we keep drugs out. But also, Central American families coming to our front door, they're arriving at places where we have a wall and they're walking up and surrendering themselves to Border Patrol agents. So even if you built the highest, thickest, most outlandish wall, it wouldn't change a thing. It would be such a misuse of resources. So how do we solve these problems? You get to the root causes. Drug abuse has been around for decades and decades. We've, as a country, we've really yet to truly get to the bottom of why we have such drug abuse, why we have an insatiable appetite for illegal drugs in this country, and how we rehabilitate people. Secondly, with asylum seekers, I, I, when people come to El Paso, I talk to them about why these Central American families are fleeing. Many of them are fleeing because of American policies in the Northern Triangle. 
And so until we address that, they're going to keep coming. A wall won't keep them out. So tell me how you voted on the resolution to fund the government that included funding for some of these border this way. I voted against uh, the appropriation package, and it was I was so torn up about it, I have to tell you, Ben. It was tough for me because there were some really good things in there and because it was a symbol of compromise, and it didn't contain funding for what the president has used as a, a, a monument to division is what it really is. Um, but here's why I voted against it, and I told leadership this, because it was, and, and I told the um, the folks who worked on the conference committee, because I wanted them to know I wasn't voting against their work. The border is so militarized, we've got to stop this obsession with it. The amount of money that we are spending on things that might please people and might make people feel safer, but don't really create safety and security, it's a waste of money. And not just that, it takes our eye off the ball, off those root causes, and it further militarizes a border that to me is a symbol of opportunity and um, prosperity for, the, for, for all of the country. And so uh, for me, it was more of a protest vote on, uh, on the idea that we need to continue this obsession with border security. We've got to focus on changing immigration laws. We've got to focus on addressing root causes to really solve problems. I wish we could keep going, but there. Yeah, thanks, Ben. The Thank you, Veronica. Oh no, my pleasure. Congressman McAdams' background as a mayor helped him to relate to some of Representative Escobar's thoughts on the difficulties of using local law enforcement agencies to enforce federal immigration crimes. It's an issue he dealt with firsthand in Salt Lake County. Not to excuse illegal immigration, and um, I don't support illegal immigration, but part of the hesitation about making local law enforcement the front of immigration enforcement is it it compromises that trust that you may have if you're trying to fight um, crime and drugs and gangs and uh, violence and other things. You want your community to feel that they can trust law enforcement and talk to law enforcement. And so um, that's why you see a lot of mayors who are uh, concerned about deputizing police officers to be an arm of immigration enforcement. and. Um, you know, it's really underlying a lot of this debate about sanctuary cities, and um, uh, some people say, why aren't we having law enforcement inf enforce some of these immigration violations? And many of your mayors around the country will say, um, you know, what do we care about more? You know, stopping gangs and drugs and violence, or somebody who overstayed a visa? Part of the issue facing lawmakers is the mythology Representative Escobar referred to and how it obscures immigration realities, making real conversations or debate difficult. I think it's really hard to get past the images of immigration and maybe what people have in their minds. You know, we, um, you know, the president talks about um, illegal immigrants who have committed crimes, and without a doubt, there are some bad people who come into this country uh, and commit crimes whether it's drug dealing or crimes of violence, and we need to do a better job of keeping some of those dangerous criminals out of our country. But So that image sticks in people's minds, and it's a pretty graphic image, and understandably so. But then you look at statistically, um, immigrants are much less likely to commit crimes than everyday Americans. And part of that's because they 
are afraid that if they're picked up for a speeding ticket or any small violation, that um, they'll be picked up by Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, and so they're very careful to obey the law. So you see illegal immigrants are much more likely to obey the law than, than average Americans. And so you do have some high-profile instances of illegal immigrants who have committed horrific crimes, but they're also American-born citizens who commit horrific crimes as well. And so it's an instance of reality, statistical reality, versus um, disturbing images and, um, and uh, examples of crimes committed by illegal, Ill- illegal immigrants. And matching those up um, is difficult, I think, for people because nobody wants to lose a loved one in a crime. And we feel outrage at whoever committed that crime, but we also have to think about it logically and not paint with a broad brush everybody just when when one person's done something horrific not to paint everybody who uh, might share a common characteristic in just a few minutes of conversation even in the chaos of a tour bus ride congressman mcadams felt his view of the issue was enhanced the president has talked about a lot about el paso and um, crimes committed on the border in el paso and then talking to her she would say that you know that of course they have crime like any community but they also um, have a relatively low crime rate. And that, again, might, I, I don't, I've never visited the city of El Paso, but um, might be an instance of you know, what, you, what the statistics say versus what you might see anecdotally might not always match up. And so the president talks about increases in crime in El Paso and how much percentage those crimes have increased. And it made me wonder, and, and then Veronica talked about how safe her community is. And I guess, I, I don't know enough about her community, I'd love to learn more, but I guess I could see that both of those things could be true. You could have an incredibly low crime rate that doubles, and it's still an incredibly low crime rate. If it went from 0.1% to 0.2%, um, that's a doubling of the crime rate and sounds alarming, but it still might be a pretty low crime rate compared to other cities. And so I just, again, talking with her, I realized that the, the situation is really complex. And um, and she added some, uh, made it more three-dimensional for me. I think I'd want to learn more. I'd want to talk to people who have a different perspective than hers as well as I dive into it and get a, maybe a little bit more deep in the, in the topic. These are challenging times in Washington and our problems were caused by Republicans and Democrats, it's going to take all of us to fix it. I want to thank you for listening to Washington. What I'd really love to hear is from you. To follow this journey, subscribe for free on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, the KSL Radio app, and anywhere you find interesting podcasts. To be part of this experiment in making the world's most powerful city responsive to citizens, please email me at tips at loudmouthproject.com. This is Tom Luma, and we'd like to thank the village that makes this podcast possible. Andrea Smartin, Donnie Akana, Amy Donaldson, Allison Hayren, and of course, Congressman Ben McAdams. Special thanks this week to Representative Veronica Escobar.